Hi, and welcome to the Gene Space, where I talk about music, life in an autistic household, writing, reading, and whatever random rabbit holes I've dived down lately. I'm so glad you're listening today. So from the title of today's episode, Multicursal, you might think that this piece should be about, say, learning to swear in various languages, or maybe curse words that blend different languages or different concepts. Someday I'll probably write about learning to swear, which was quite the journey for me, and on consideration, one of my formative experiences of breaking the rules and the reasons and consequences of that. But multicursal means something else entirely, as we'll soon discover. Enjoy the show! The road ahead was filled with barriers, balloon lights that blotted out the stars, a police car sitting with its flashers on, and orange detour signs. I turned left, finding myself in a shopping center parking lot. I hoped that there would be an exit at the back, but nope, just curb after curb. I sighed and retraced, parking as close as I could to the Route 140 roadblock and made my way towards the flashing blue lights. It was a warm night for November, and the officer had his window all the way down. I said, so sorry, I'm a little out of my way and can't seem to figure out the detour. This night's commute was a seven, seven towns, that is, from home to the venue. It's a fairly scenic route with no highway driving. The first three towns I know pretty well, the fourth is a little iffy. The fifth through seventh are mostly mysteries to me. About all I know in terms of navigating them is that Route 140 will take me through them at a relatively brisk pace. The roadblock, unfortunately, was in Town 5. Where are you going? he asked. The center, I said. Foxborough Center, I meant. This was not my ultimate destination, but it was my next turning point. Okay, he said, and showed me that the detour sign actually pointed at a street that was headed the opposite direction from the one I needed, but which, he assured me, would lead to a rotary where I could correct my course. Through the rotary, go five blocks, take a right on Baker Street. It'll take you straight to the center. Well, easy peasy, now that I knew what to look for on the GPS. It was better than detours in the olden days when my husband Dave and I would come back from some late night thing and find a road shut down. Half the time, even when we we thought we were following the detour signs, we managed to get lost. The peculiarities of Massachusetts didn't help. It could be challenging to figure out what town we were in, as well as the name of the street we'd been driving down. Even with the help of the big southeastern Massachusetts atlas, it took forever. The officer's directions worked and were much appreciated now that my route had turned multicursal. Do you know that word? It's new to me, and it's relatively new to English, too, with its first known use being in the 1920s. Cursal, in British English, means of or belonging to a set course or rotation. And multicursal is a kind of design that offers multiple paths and or passages. These can be metaphorical or literal, um, and the paths are going to a goal or the center. 
In the literal sense, multicursal is used often when experts are explaining the difference between mazes and labyrinths. Along with one of the words siblings, unicursal. Other siblings include bicursal and tricursal. Do the math. A unicursal design contains a single path. Labyrinths and mazes used to be roughly synonymous names for structures with complex, confusing pathways leading towards some kind of reward. The Minotaur's notorious labyrinth sounds more like what we call a maze these days, full of dead ends and decision points. Otherwise, Theseus wouldn't have needed the ball of string to mark his path. Over time, labyrinth began to defined, uh, to be defined as unicursal, with a single access point and path. That was rather the way I had thought of my seven-town route. Mazes are multicursal, and they have multiple access points sometimes, as well as paths that don't connect to the center. Endurance will get you through a labyrinth. For the maze, you must also solve the puzzle. I'd had a labyrinth experience last Sunday. I was intending to deposit a check on my way to my church job, so I'd left 10 minutes early. Then I'd spaced out and driven straight past the Bank of America branch. The stoplight gods had been kind to me, so by the time I got to church, I had 10 minutes plus 3 minutes more. Why not finally walk the labyrinth? A couple of high schoolers had made one on the church grounds a few months back as a service project. It was tucked in a wooded area by the side parking lot. I'd just seen the photographs of it since I always park in the back lot, but I'd been intrigued. The labyrinth was smaller than I'd expected. A pebble-paved circle, maybe 30 feet in diameter, with white bricks marking the path and a keyhole-shaped center. There were lots of leaves on the ground. It looked like it would take a couple of minutes at most. So I began my journey, walking extra slowly. But it was kind of chilly, so I started going faster. The path kept doubling back. I felt annoyed. First at the going backwards so much, and then at myself for being so impatient. I reminded myself that I had decided to abide by the labyrinth's rules. Stick on the path. Sure. I could step over the bricks at any point, be in the center in three hops at most. So I twisted and turned, kicked through the leaves like a six-year-old, and rejoiced when I hit one nice long straight stretch. I could have kept my eyes on the center the whole time, but other things grabbed my attention. The leaves and the tree skeletons and a pond downhill and a rectory and the church bells bonging. I didn't focus on the goal, but I got there anyway. On the way back, the suspense was gone, but there was a sort of nostalgic pleasure in retracing my steps. Oh, here's that long stretch. Here's a place where you have to turn around after just two tiny steps. Here is every nook and cranny. I left, feeling happy that I'd taken that stroll. Pleased with myself, for some reason. Just as I was pleased with myself when I made it through the labyrinth that became a maze the other night through the last town, and back to my starting point, not too much later than expected. The house and the snacks and soft lights and soft sheets waiting. Thanks so much for spending a bit of your day here. 
A couple of years ago, I was working on a novel that featured a maze. I didn't finish it. I'm not sure whether it's going to be buried with other dead manuscripts or if I'll get back to it. But in the course of writing, I did a bunch of research on mazes and labyrinths. I was so happy to visit some mazes this past summer and also a largish labyrinth in um, our trip to Vienna. And truth be told, I prefer the idea of mazes, but they give me decision fatigue. There's something relaxing about a one-path strategy. Let's me notice other things. Makes me feel like I'm saving time. But it's also satisfying to solve the problem of a maze and to see all the cool stuff in the dead ends, if it's that kind of maze. I can't quite choose which I prefer, but on reflection, maybe I default too often to a labyrinth approach. How about you? Today's essay comes from my WordPress blog, which is also called The Gene Space, if you'd like to read the original or some of my other pieces. Also, if you're inclined to support this show, that would be much appreciated. Every little bit helps. There's a donations button on my homepage. Until next time, be well.